You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Before we get back into Titus, um, today's an important day in the church, in the historic church calendar. Today is Pentecost Sunday. You might be familiar with some of the things in the church calendar, things like Advent, which is where we remember the coming of Christ, the, the coming of Jesus born as a baby. Maybe you're familiar, obviously, with Good Friday, with Easter. Well, today is Pentecost Sunday. It's the day that we remember God's faithfulness to give of his spirit, to really put his spirit within us. Jesus' promise that he would be with us to the end of the age, where he poured out his spirit upon his followers. And, um, and, and that really changed the course of things for us, for the church, is, was the receiving of the Spirit. And, um, and so here's what I want to do this morning as we, before we jump back into the text. I just want to ask you just for a minute to consider an area of your life or maybe something in your life where you need the Spirit's help. Where you just like, you're just aware that if in your own strength, in your own flesh, you just don't have what it takes. Maybe it's a person in your life to love. Maybe it's to care for your children or to love your spouse or the work that God's called you to do or maybe even something in the church. Maybe there's a relationship in your life. Maybe whatever it might be, I want you just to think of an area in your life where you are just aware of your own limitations. And I want to invite you just to hold your hands out like this. We get interactive here early in the morning, rainy Sunday morning. And I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for the Spirit to help us. Let Let me pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Almighty God, we turn to you this morning We remember your faithfulness to your promise, Jesus, that you would be with us till the end of the age. Your giving of the Spirit and how the Spirit of God poured out upon those first disciples changed everything. It turns cowards into courageous men of faith. God, how it caused your word to move forward with might and with power. And Lord, though we do believe that upon faith we are indwelt with your Spirit, we are sealed with your Spirit, Lord, we do confess even now that we need new, fresh fillings of your spirit. We need your help as we seek renewal, as we pray for renewal as a church. God, we we ask for fresh awakenings and fresh outpourings of your spirit in our daily lives and in our lives as a church. I pray even right now for the weak, that the weak would be strengthened by your spirit. I pray for the the one who here this morning that might be a doubter, that the doubter would be filled with faith by your spirit. I pray for those who need courage to be given the courage of your spirit, those who need words to be given words from your spirit, those, God, who feel ill-equipped and need new gifts, God, you would pour out new gifts of your spirit into this church, that you would equip us by your spirit for every good work. Lord, we pray that you would help us day by day to do what your word tells us in Galatians, that we would keep in step with the spirit, that we would be a people who bear the fruit of the spirit in our daily lives. Fill us, Holy Spirit, even now, Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the word of God? Would you make Christ beautiful and sweet to us as we look to your word? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're back in Titus, as, uh, as we just read, Titus chapter 2. And we're continuing in this sermon series today, looking at Paul's instructions for the churches in Crete, that Paul left Titus in Crete, we see in chapter 1, verse 5, to put what remained into order, to establish the church, to get it healthy so that it can fulfill Jesus' vision and his mission for his people in the world until the day that Jesus comes again. That's what we're doing here as we gather week by week, as we live our life as followers of Jesus in the context of a local church, is that we are being faithful to the commands of Christ 
that we might put his gospel on display until the day that he comes again. And in Titus chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, Paul is showing us what sound doctrine looks like in the church. He's showing us examples of sound doctrine for men, young and old, for women, young and old. Next week, we'll look at the command for bondservants, for those who worked in the ancient Greco-Roman world. Chapter 3, he talks about what it looks like to be good citizens. This is what he's doing. He's showing us what sound doctrine looks like. And if you remember a couple weeks ago, we said the phrase sound doctrine in the New Testament really means healthy doctrine. You could think of it this way. It's lived doctrine. It's healthy, sound doctrine. It's truth about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what that means for us, how that changes us. It's truth about Jesus learned and lived in our everyday life. In other words, if our doctrine is sound, that means that there's not a massive gap between what we believe and how we behave. I was listening to a podcast recently about a pastor who had a very fruitful ministry, but behind the scenes was involved in, in basically the kind of this criminal circle in another state, like he was involved in a crime ring. Now that's a massive gap. That is very unsound doctrine between what we believe and profess and how we live our life. Some of us maybe, hope, I hope not, I pray not, have massive gaps that big in our life. Others of us probably have smaller gaps, but we have gaps nonetheless between what we believe and what we profess and how we live in our everyday life. And this is Paul's purpose in writing, that those in the church would be taught to, to live congruent, congruent lives with what we profess and what we believe. That is sound doctrine. Discipleship, in other words, is the journey to bridge that gap, to bridge those gaps in our life by repentance and faith. And Paul tells us in Titus 2 verse 12 that grace is the motivator, that the, the mercy, the love, the grace of God is what trains us to renounce ungodliness in our life and live in line with the gospel. And so Paul's aim in this letter is a healthy church, a church that's established on the truth of Jesus and his gospel, and a church that's living out this truth in everyday life as men, as women, as employees, as citizens. And today we're going to look specifically at Paul's instructions for women, for what does it look like for women in the church to live a life of sound doctrine. Now, before we go any further, it's important that we first and foremost, interpret this text, we look at these instructions for women through the lens of the gospel, that we receive this through the lens of the gospel rather than receiving it through the lens of the culture. Here's what I want us all to understand before we go any further, that we are actually in good company with the original audience of this text. We're in good company. Um, the original audience of this text, they, they, would have, they would have actually had to kind of receive this, these instructions through the lens of the gospel as well, not through the lens of the culture. In other words, we don't kind of say, hey, here's the way that we think about women in our culture and then apply that to the text. That would actually make us, in our current cultural moment, the authority. Instead, we are to take the truth about God and who he is and what he's done and the authority of God's word, and we then, we then actually judge the culture. We let God and his word be the authority. And we say, what's true? What's good? What's right? What leads to flourishing? And what doesn't? And so what I'm trying to say is that this text is actually really relevant for us today. Some might look at this text, and particularly the instructions for women, and they might say, and this text is outdated, the Bible is outdated, it's archaic. But what we have to realize is that we live in a time and place where there are many unqualified voices who are telling us what it means to be men and women. 
And the same was true in the Greco-Roman world, in the ancient world. The same has always been true in every generation, where there are uh, people, human beings, that are trying to determine what it means to be men and women. And no matter our time and no matter our there are different flavors and there are different emphasis in each generation, but as long as there is sin in the world, human beings will seek to design and govern themselves in whatever way in which they think will bring them life. Do you realize that? That is the human condition since Genesis chapter 3, since sin entered into the world, is for human beings to seek to be the ones who both design and govern their own lives. That we seek to try and say, hey, I think this is the way that life will work best. It reminds me of Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, that says, There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end is the way to death. You see, the Bible is the story of God the designer. God the The Bible is the story that God is the designer and God is the, the one who governs. God is the one who rules. And this is actually really good news for us, that God is both designer and governor. In fact, Genesis chapter 3 shows us what happens when human beings reject God's good design and God's good governance in our lives. What happens is the curse of sin and death is unleashed on the whole of creation. But here's the good news of the gospel. It's that God is not only the all-powerful creator, but he is also the merciful redeemer. That he sent his son into the world to pay the penalty for our sin, to free us from sin's curse, and to rescue us from our own foolishness. In other words, the gospel is the news that we can be put back into God's design, that we ourselves can be put into order. Our lives can be put into order, back into God's good design. In fact, if you are a Christian this morning, if you've confessed faith in Christ, if you are a Christian, you ought not see God's instructions for you in the Bible as binding and oppressive. How many of you have heard people say that before? The, the, the commands in the Bible are just binding, they're oppressive, they're archaic. If you're a Christian, you ought not view them this way, but you ought to see them as redeeming. The, the commands and the instructions in the Bible are redeeming, they are freeing, they are the path to life, they are the way by which we get put back into order, back into God's design, back into flourishing. You see, that's what this passage is all about. This text Titus chapter 2, it's about not falling prey to the foolishness of the world. He says this in Titus 3.3. 3. Don't go back into your foolish old ways of thinking and living. This text is about walking in the redeeming grace of Jesus for our own good and for God's glory. That we might live as a display of that good news to the world. And so we need to receive Titus 2, 1-10 this way, both as men and as women. That living the way of Jesus as men and as women, it's fundamentally an expression of trust in our Redeemer Jesus. It's to say, Jesus, you made me. Jesus, you saved me. Jesus, you govern my life. You are Lord and you are trustworthy. It's to say, Jesus, you know what's best for me. It's to say, I'm dying to my way. I'm giving up on our culture's way. And I'm living Jesus' way because I believe he is good. He died for me. He rose again for me. He now lives for me. He loves me. He serves me. He pleads for me. Jesus is coming again for me. And I am going to live my life as a man, as a woman, his way until that day. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give us three categories 
as we move forward, understanding and receiving this text through the lens of the gospel, not through the lens of the culture, three categories that I think will help us. And here's what they are. If you're taking notes, write these three things down. Kind of three buckets by which we receive these instructions. Number one is design. Design. Number two, dignity. And number three, duty. Design, dignity, and duty. You see, growing as disciples of Jesus, specifically as men and women in the church, is about learning and living the design, the dignity, and the duty that you've uniquely been given by Jesus in the gospel. We saw this last week with men. Just to recap just a bit, we saw this last week with men, that men are uniquely designed by God. Uniquely designed. They're given size and strength and power. And Josh reminded us, beards. Can we keep that bad joke going two weeks in a row? Is it okay? Yeah? All right. And beards are uniquely designed by God with a unique biology and a unique physiology designed by God uniquely. And there's dignity in this. And there's duty in this. Men are to steward their size and their strength. They're to steward as servants to provide and to protect and to pastor those in their lives. You see, we saw last week that we need men in the church. We need strong men in the church. We need servant men in the church, men who are self-controlled, who are sober-minded, men who are steadfast, men who are sound in the faith, are using their brain and their intellect for the things of Jesus. We need men loving and leading their families and others to Christ. And what this text, what we're going to look at this morning, what it reminds us of today, is that we also need women in the church. We need women living out their God-given design, dignity, and duty for the glory of Jesus. And so with all this in mind, let's look back at Paul's instructions that he gives in Titus chapter 2. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. He says, but as for you, so Titus, you're different than the other voices in the culture. You have something different to teach. As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Teach what fits with the message of the gospel, with the redeeming grace of the gospel. Teach this. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. Older women, likewise, you can underline that word, Likewise, or similarly to the the instructions for older men, older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Here's principle number one for the church. The church needs seasoned, mature, godly women. Okay? The church needs seasoned, mature godly women, women who are reverent in behavior, the text tells us. What does that mean? I want you to think about that for a second. Think about that. What does that mean, reverent in behavior? Ladies, I want you to think about that. Am I reverent in behavior? Well, what it means is it's a woman who has a big view of God. It's, it's a woman in the church. It's women in the church who have a seriousness about God in their life, that they love God deeply, that they want to honor him with all of who they are. They want to honor God in all situations. They are reverent. It's this picture of, of holiness and devotion to God that marks all of my behavior. You know, there's, there's nothing more beautiful than this about a woman than holiness. Um, in fact, God 
by design. We talked about last week, God is by design given men's strength and size and stature. By design, God has given women beauty. It, it's just true. Like um, God's just given women beauty. Think about when God creates Eve. And Adam's response is he breaks out in, in poetry, really. It's a song, Hebrew poetry. He says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. What he's essentially saying is like, you're like me in, in so many ways, but yet you're different. You're beautiful. You are beautiful. Wow, is what he's saying. What a beautiful being. God has given women by nature beauty that men don't have. And there's nothing more beautiful. In other words, there's nothing that's more of a multiplier to the natural beauty that God has already given women than holiness. If you are not married, if you're a young man or an unmarried man, I want you to think about that. You want a woman who's holy. That beauty will last a lifetime. I remember my grandpa told me a long time ago, one of his many kind of grandpa wisdom things that he just would say in passing is he said, in fact, when he first met my wife, he said, she's really, really pretty. And he said, and she seems like she's really loves Jesus, which is important because you, uh, you don't just want to marry a pretty girl. You want to marry a girl that you still want to talk to when you're 60. <laughs> That's what he basically would say. Like, you, you know, beauty is fleeting. Holiness is a kind of beauty that will never fade. Godliness is a multiplier of the natural beauty that God has given women. In fact, the word reverent that's used in the text, it's a word that was often used in reference to the temple throughout the Bible. Really what he's saying here is older, we need older women in the church who are like priestess, essentially is what he's saying. That's what that word means. It's a holiness, a seriousness about God. It's a, it's a temple word. Think like of Anna in Luke chapter 2, if you're familiar with, with, with that story where we see Anna who was a priestess or a prophetess. She, she was an older woman who was devoted to God, a woman who fasted and prayed in the temple, worked. Did the, she was devoted to the things of God with her time and her life, anticipating the coming of Christ. She was devoted to God's mission in the world, and she was nurtured by the word, and she nurtured others with the word. This is the picture that he's painting. Hear me, a church with older women like this is a healthy church. In fact, if you're here this morning, a woman, I want you to think about this. This is what you were not only created for, but what you have been redeemed by Jesus for. This is what Jesus saved you for. There is so much dignity in this calling. And I want you to notice what Paul contrasts this with. He says, you could either be devoted to Jesus, you could be devoted to the things of God with your life and with your time and all of your life, seriousness about God, or you could waste your days with gossip and wine. You could be an older woman who's devoted with your time to the things of God, or you could waste your time. You could waste your time. In other words, he says, don't be a gossip and a wino. It's basically what he's saying. Be devoted to Jesus. I remember as a, as a kid spending summer days at my grandparents' house. I remember my grandparents' phone would just ring all day long. I remember thinking, I was like, that's, I guess that's what old retired people do. They just talk on the phone all day long. Her phone would ring all day long. And my grandmother was very involved in her church. She, led a, she taught a Sunday school class. She played the piano. And her phone would just ring all day long. And it would be other older women from the church who were calling her. And, um, and the conversations would usually go something like this. Like, hey, Janet, did you hear about so-and-so? And on and on and on. Or, hey, I'm just calling you because you're next on the, the prayer chain. And, um, and then, you know, 30 minutes of gossip later, uh, okay, uh, be, be, let's be praying about that, you know. There are so many things that old 
waste of time. What a waste of your experience. Or you could learn to love God, devote yourself to God, Paul says. Paul says older women are to be nurturers of the faith, nurturing faith in others. You see, this is also part of God's design for women. Women are by nature nurturers. Women are by nature, by design, they grow things. Women grow things. God put this in your biology. God put this in your physiology. God put this in your brain chemistry, women. Even, even in your brain chemistry to be nurturers. These are all things that men do not have. Women can grow babies. Women can nurse children. Men cannot do those things. Many women, you can grow gardens and flowers. Most men cannot do that. I, every time I've tried to, anytime I've planted anything in our front yard, it's been an absolute disaster. By nature, in God's design for you, he's called you to, to nurture and to grow, and there is dignity in this. It's God-given. And Paul says, older women, use your time to nurture and grow younger women. In other words, he's saying become spiritual mothers. Don't waste your time. Invest the time and experience that you have. Nurture the faith of younger women in the church. Teach and train them. He's saying become disciples. Become spiritual mothers and grandmothers. Look back at the text. He says they, older women, are to teach what is good. Verse 4, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And so, number one, we need mature, seasoned, godly women in the church. Number two, the church needs active spiritual mothering and grandmothering. The church needs active spiritual mothering and grandmothering. You know, if elders in the church, pastors in the church, are to be spiritual fathers, they're to be men who are qualified, who lead the whole church toward maturity, keeping it centered on the gospel and living on Jesus' mission. Well, Paul is now saying that the church also needs spiritual mothers, not just spiritual fathers. Specifically, it needs seasoned, mature, godly women who are models to younger women. Um, I just want to ask you, if you are a younger woman, you know, if you're a woman, if you're a teenager, if you're in your 20s, if you're, if you're in your 30s, I mean, just think about this. Do, do you have this in your life right now? Do you have a, someone, an older, wise, seasoned, godly woman who's reverent in your life, teaching you and training you and discipling you? I mean, think about what a gift that would be. What a gift that would be to you as you seek to follow Jesus as a young woman in your 20s and 30s. What a gift that would be to have that in your life as a parent, as you, teach to, as you seek to raise up your kids, as you seek to parent teenagers. What a gift that would be to have that in your, in your life as a newlywed or as a single woman. This is the picture. To have an older woman in your life who loves Jesus deeply, that loves you that can teach you what is good, that can train you too to become a seasoned, mature, godly woman. Listen, there are so many of us in the church, both men and women, who have had really bad models in our lives. And we just have had really bad models for what it means in our homes to be men and women. We've had bad models in our families of origin, in our past. I mean, so many of us, are, our past is marked by sin. Our families, generational sin in our families, and our families of origin. 
You know, I've heard it say once before, um, you, you might have Jesus in your heart, but you have grandpa or grandma in your bones. I mean, we have these deep-rooted generational sins in our lives. How many of you, even as you're like, I'm never going to be like my parents, and then the older you get, you're, you know, you're, that generational sin, it's deep-rooted. We've had bad models as men and women, and, and the message of Titus is that God has showed up. The grace of God has appeared, Titus 2, verse 11. And yes, he has saved us. He saved us by his mercy and by his grace. But now we need to learn a new way. We need to learn Jesus' way. And the way that we do that is in the church. And we need models. We need better models. And he's saying, young women, if you're going to grow up into God's design and the dignity and the duty that he's given you, you need models of godliness to show you the way. That the church, the family of God, we need spiritual mothers. Did you know that, men in the church? That you need also spiritual mothers and grandmothers in your life? as well, to nurture you in the faith. Do you see what the text is telling us about the significance of women in the church? Can we just take a time out for a minute? Like what this text is telling us is that women matter in the church. This is not a women are a doormat text. Hear me. This nor other passages like it are not a women don't matter text, not a women be quiet text. That is not at all what this is. Now, there are some unqualified pastors who do not know how to handle God's word who might try and use this passage or other passages like this passage in that way. But that is not at all what this text is telling us. In fact, the Apostle Paul would rebuke these kinds of pastors. More importantly, Jesus will judge these kinds of pastors who suppress women, who are oppressive to women, who mistreat women, who create cultures where women in the church cannot thrive and flourish and use their God-given design and dignity and live out their callings. What this text is telling us is that women are of massive significance in the kingdom of God. That's what it's telling us, that women matter, that the church cannot accomplish its mission in the world without you without spiritual mothers. That your ministry in the church can make a massive ripple effect across the whole church, not just because there's women meeting with women, but when older women meet and mentor younger women, it has ripple effects across entire households. It impacts husbands and children and singles. You see, the portrait of Jesus' family that Paul has created so far is of qualified men called elders who are leading the whole church. And through their leadership, other men are growing and maturing. And then there's this new picture that's added of mature, godly women who are nurturing and who are teaching other women. And other women are growing and are maturing as they learn from these good models. You see, this text is not a men versus women text. Last night, my family um, it was raining. We had nothing else to do. We watched a Kong versus Godzilla. Anybody seen this movie? All right. I mean, don't waste your money. Um, but it was entertaining. But here's, I'll just give it away since none of you have seen it, and I don't want any of you to waste your money. What we learned from that movie is that it's actually better when, oh, James is shaking his head. He's like, don't give it away. James, earmuffs. Um, when, when Kong and, and Godzilla, like, actually work together. <laughs> it's actually, the, the movie, it's all, you're like, this is awesome. Not when they're against each other. This is not a man versus woman text. This is a man and woman text. Men and women living out the uniqueness of their roles that they've been given, their design, the dignity in that, the duty as redeemed image bearers of God. You could think of it this way. Let me give you an image that might be helpful. 
Um, Genesis tells us that we were created male and female in the image of God. Male and female in the image of God, okay? That we are both image bearers, equal, but yet we are unique. And that our purpose as men and women is to reflect the image of God. Now, our purpose as Christian men and women is to reflect the redemption of Jesus Christ, to be restored back into the image of God, not the distorted picture of men and women that sin creates in our world. Think of it this way. If I had a a piece of clear glass and I had a piece of foil, let's say men are the piece of clear glass, okay? If you looked into the piece of clear glass, could you still see an image, a reflection? Yes, you could, though it would probably be shadowy, not nearly as clear. If you looked into the piece of foil, a clear piece of foil. Could you still see an image and reflection? Yes, you could, but it probably would be a little bit distorted. But what happens if you take the foil and you put it behind the clear glass? What does it create? It creates a mirror. You see that the perfect fullness of the image. That's the picture of men and women created in the image of God to reflect the nature and the glory of God. And then the importance of this text is men and women working together in their God-given roles to reflect the redemption of Christ in a world that's gone sideways and crazy when it comes to gender and sexuality. So that's the the big picture point. But what does this look like? What does it actually look like for older women, Paul says, to be models to younger women? What does it actually look like in practice to teach women what is good, for you to teach what is good or for you to learn from other women what is good? Well, Paul doesn't leave it vague. He actually gives us some specific examples. Now, it's important to remember that this is not an exhaustive list. This isn't, Josh talked about this last week. This is apostolic writing. So in other words, um, Paul is reminding Titus of what he already knows, what he's already taught. It'd be like if I told my, if I'd already trained my children on how to wash my truck, which I should do that, by the way. That would be a good idea. If I'd already trained them on how to wash my truck and they're going out to wash my truck and I just remind them, hey, make sure that you get all like the, the gunk and stuff out of the wheels. Right? I'm reminding them of something important and a larger teaching of what they've already been taught. This is what Paul's doing. So this is by no means an exhaustive list, but it does give us the most important things. In other words, these ought to be priorities if the church is going to be healthy, if it's going to be effective in its mission, if it's going to be full of spiritual mothers who are discipling and teaching. He says, teach what is good, verse 4, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, so that the word of God may not be reviled. Again, this is about sound doctrine. No gaps between belief and behavior. Women in the church can learn all the theology they want. They can know their Bibles cover to cover. But if their most central relationships, which for most women are their children and their husbands, If their most central relationships are a mess, it doesn't matter how much Bible and theology you know. If your most central relationships are not ordered and glorifying Christ, then the word of Christ is not being adorned in the world. So he says, train young women to love their husbands and children. Younger women, those of you in your 20s and 40s, um, listen to me for a second. Do you know why you need mature, godly women in your life teaching and training you how to love your husband and children? Do you know why? 
It's because your husband and your children are hard to love people, okay? They are hard to love people. Giving yourself to love and serve a tired and distracted man is not easy. Giving yourself to love and serve demanding and difficult children is not easy. It's a job that in your flesh you will want to give up on. In your own strength you will want to tap out or you will want to farm out to others. But with the grace of the risen Jesus in your life, with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, and an even more of a multiplier, he's saying here, with a seasoned, mature, godly saint who loves you beside you in your life, you can walk in this calling. You can live out this duty that God's given you and called you to as a married woman or, or a married woman with children. Second thing he says, he says to be self-controlled and pure and kind. A few, few other things that he adds in the list. Self-controlled, pure, and kind. How does a young Christian woman become a, an older Christian woman who's reverent in behavior? Well, then when they, are young, they are, uh, when they are younger, they submit themselves to older, wiser, mature women in the church to learn. Younger women, do you have someone in your life who's calling you towards self-control, maybe even calling you out? Do you have that person in your life? Do you have someone in your life that's calling you toward purity and toward grace? That's what the word kindness means. It essentially means graciousness. You're to live with graciousness. Do you have that person in your life? Listen, having good Christian friends, peers, that's a, that's a great thing. That's a grace. We want that for you here. We want you to be in community with other women where you have friends in the church, where you have peers in the church, where you have community. Having other Christian women in your life, that's a grace. Having an older woman in your life to train you and to teach you and to speak into your life and correct you, that is a goldmine. That is a goldmine for you. Do you have that? Do you have that in your life? Are you looking for that? Will you submit yourself to that? Then he says, older women are to be training younger women, two more things, to be working at home and submissive to their husbands. I decided to put these two together, save the best for last. I'm going to step on both landmines at once. How about that? Here we go. Working at home, women, submissive to their own husbands. All kidding aside, um, there's some people that want to kind of make these two things controversial. Like there's people that just want to make this problematic. But there's really no reason that for a Christian married woman that, that these two things should be controversial at all. You know, if you're a non-Christian married woman, you, you don't have to live your life this way. You really, you really don't have to. Now, if you did, we believe that it would go well for you, that you would flourish, that you would walk in the way of Jesus, that would be back into the design in which God created you in the first place. So we actually think it would go well for you, but you don't have to. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you're married, once we really understand what these two things mean, it actually makes a lot of sense. It actually shouldn't be controversial at all. And so let's start with the first one. What does it mean, working at home? What is Paul saying here? Well, this is essentially and simply a call for you as women to prioritize your home. You are by design nurturers. And it's a call for you to live out that design, embrace that dignity that God has given you as married women, and to cultivate, to nurture the soil of your home. That after Jesus, your home is to be your first ambition. 
That's what this is a call to. Now, what does this not mean? Well, it doesn't mean that women cannot work outside the home. That's not, that, that's not what it means. In fact, you can just go read Proverbs chapter 31 if you want to read a picture of a woman who is devoted to her home, works in the home, that is cultivating the soil, nurturing the soil of her home so that her children and her husband and that anybody else that comes into that home can be blessed and can grow and can be nurtured. And that was a working woman. I mean, go read Proverbs 31. She was a working woman. In fact, my wife works outside the home. She's called, she's gifted, she's very good at being a labor and delivery nurse. I watch and witness God use her every day that she goes to work as a nurse. So this is in no way saying that women must stuff their intellect and stuff their skills and all of their energies and just stay home and sew clothes for their children. That's not what the text is saying. What it means is that your primary ambition is to leverage your gifts and your energy and your intellect for the flourishing of those in your home first. That there is stuff that only you can do in the home for your husband and for your children. There's stuff that dad cannot do. Dad can try, but he isn't designed the way that you are. And so Proverbs 31, I just want to encourage you to go there. It's a beautiful portrayal of a married woman whose work in the home glorifies God. It nurtures her family and it, and it witnesses to the watching world. And so married Christian women, your top priority ought to be your home. It ought to be that your home would be a ministry center where your family flourishes, where others are blessed. And if you're, you know, your husband ought to do everything that he can to make sure that you can walk in this. Now, just to be pastorally sensitive, there are some situations where maybe this isn't always, in other words, these commands and these instructions, they are certainly imperatives, but they, but they are general, general imperatives. They're not always imperatives. Like there are some situations where maybe women don't have any other option other than to work. Maybe there's a health issue in the home or something like that. So I just want to say that, but, but giving all, all that all the circumstances are, are right and are accurate, then women, your first priority ought to be your home. Can you have other priorities? Yes. Yes, certainly you can. But don't let those compete with your home. And older women, they can help you with this. That's why you need them in your life to train you. They can help you with this. They will remind you that you will not get years back. They will encourage you to prioritize the nurturing of your home, to tend the soil there. And then the second thing, submissive to their husbands. What does this mean? Well, I want you just to imagine with me for a second Young Titus, most scholars believe Titus was young. Uh, Titus was not married. I want you to imagine young Titus coming into a, to a group of, of married women in the church and basically saying to them, listen, ladies, you all need to stop undermining the God-given authority of your husbands. You need to let them lead. It's good for, for them to lead. It's good for you to be led. How would this have gone for Titus? Well, it might have gone well, or it might not have gone well if that room was full of a bunch of independent ladies, right? You could cue, is it Destiny's Child? Is that the song? Independent, something like that? I don't know. Um, you could cue that music. This is why Paul tells Titus to instruct other women. Paul tells him to have other godly, mature women to teach the younger women why submission to their husbands is important. Because these women have come to learn, to taste, to see that God's design for them is good. That God's design for their husband is good. These women can say with credibility, hey, I know it's hard, but let him lead in your marriage. Hey, I know it's hard, but give him space to use his God-given strength 
for your good. They can say, listen, if you do not let him lead in his 20s and in his 30s, you will be married to a passive and apathetic man in your 50s and in your 60s. These older women can teach and can mentor in a way that's good for women and for men. You see, the word submissive in our culture, it's kind of become a dirty word. We live in a radically individualistic culture where nobody wants to submit to anything. We don't even want to submit to our own biology. We don't want to submit to anything. It's really not a, a negative word. Unfortunately, Christians who have been oppressive to women haven't helped us here. They actually haven't helped. They, they've, they've muddied the waters. They've made it worse. They've taught this in a way that is not true to, God's, to the design and dignity that God's given men and women. But essentially, what the word in the text means is it means to so deeply trust and respect your husband that you will willingly yield. It's a deep trust and respect. The Greek word literally means to arrange yourself under. Again, think glass foil. To arrange yourself under. To so deeply trust and respect that you will yield. You yield to your husband as he yields to Christ. This is a picture of Ephesians chapter 5. It's what Ephesians 5 tells us in 521 that we submit to one another out of reverence to Christ, that we play our roles, men serving and initiating and leading as Christ served the church and women trusting and respecting and following as the church trusts and respects Christ, that in all things the gospel may be adorned. Now, there is an obvious question in the room maybe for some of you. Yeah, but what if my husband is an idiot? You can laugh about that. What if my husband is an idiot? <laughs> well, he might be. Um, he might be. In fact, I, I heard a story from a pastor friend of mine recently about uh, they're, they're counseling a couple through separation right now because the husband was literally an idiot. I mean, just an absolute idiot. The wife trusted him and, and, was, and let him lead, particularly in their matters of their finances. And without saying anything, without talking about it, with her, um, pulled out decades worth of savings and put it all in cryptocurrency and lost tons of their money, okay? Um, he's, he, he might be an idiot. Um, and if that's true for you, if, if your husband is not spiritually attentive, if he's not wise, certainly if he's abusive to you, that's why, God, that's why it's important that the church is a family. That's why it says you need older women in your life who will help you with these matters. More importantly, it's why you need pastors, where pastors can come alongside into your life. You can come to them, and they can say, we want to step in here and help. We want to provide correction and teaching, discipline, church discipline, if we need to. That's why you have lifelines like older women and pastors. And so for some of you, that's the next step for you is to say, hey, I need some help I want to, because I love my husband, and I want to honor and respect him. I'm calling in some backup here. I need some help. But I think for, for, for many of you, if younger women, it's probably not that your husband is, is an idiot or that is unfit to lead. It's probably that he is just immature. I've been there. I've been there. And what he needs is that he needs time and he needs space to learn and grow. He needs you allowing him to stumble forward, trusting him even in his mistakes and in his immaturity. And when you do that, he will grow in his confidence to lead you and your family, seeing that you respect him and trust him, that you give him grace 
as Christ gives him grace, even in his mistakes. Listen, I can't tell you how much wind it puts in my cells as a leader in my home when my wife trusts and follows my lead, even if I'm not sure about something. I can't tell you how much wind that puts in my cells. I, I also can't tell you how many times as a husband that I've had to come to her and I've had to say, listen, I know that you, you, you trust me here and that, and that you want to let me lead here, but I just don't know. Like, I, I don't know what do you think is best for our kids. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've come to her to seek her advice on a matter in our family, in our household, with our life together. Listen, this is the picture of biblical complementarianism. Men and women needing one another, fitted together. Men and women operating in our God-given roles and design in the home and in the church. And here's what the text is telling us. That when we do, when we live this way, women, when, you're, when you are submissive to your husbands in a trusting, respectful way, when you let them lead, men, when you give, use your strength and your power, don't waste it, but you use it to serve and build up for the good of others. When we live this way in the home and in the church together, that the gospel is adorned, not reviled. That the word of God is put on display in a hectic, crazy culture, not reviled, not distorted, but it's put on display, it's distinct, that Jesus is held up. I want to close with this. Um, a few years ago, we looked around our church, and there were hardly any older men and older women in this church. Like, literally, like maybe six. Seriously. <laughs> Total. Older men and women. Maybe six. And when we realized this, we, we, start, well, we started realizing just what a massive hole and weakness that that was in our church. And so our elders just began to pray. We just were like, how do we get more older men and women here? Do we start like some kind of old person ministry? Like, what do we do? No, uh, I'm not sure how, that's weird. Um, you know, let's just pray. And so we just started to pray. God, we started to pray Titus 2, 2 through 4. I mean, that was, that was our prayer list. Would you bring these kinds of men and women here, spiritual fathers and mothers, would you bring them here? And let me tell you something that God did. God answered this prayer over the last two or three years. And he's answered this prayer in two ways. One, God literally has, has brought to this church mature, seasoned, godly women in this church that love younger women and that are doing this right now. They are doing this. They are pouring out their lives. They're not wasting their time on social media or on whatever other things. They're not gossiping. They're not winos. They are investing their time in younger women. And it's made our church so healthy. But the second way in which God has answered this prayer is that God has grown many of you who maybe are not in age, older women, God has grown many of you into mature, seasoned, godly women. God has given many of you a spiritual maturity that goes beyond your age, that there are some women in this church who are wise, who love Jesus deeply, who love his word, who love the church, who love their children, who love the children of this church. And it has been such a beautiful thing to watch God answer this prayer. Hear me. We need you. Ladies, we need you. Older women, mature in the faith women, we need you here at Redeemer. We need you to keep giving yourself away to teach and mentor others, other women in this church. Don't wait on us to start a ministry program for you to do this. God has given us a program. It's called Life. Invite 
more younger women into your life. Reach out, build relationships with those in your gospel community. Start having coffee weekly. You have the green light. Reach out to Aaron if you need someone in your life. If you're saying, look, hey, I know that I, I need an older, mature woman in my life to help me. Reach out to Aaron Kellogg, our women's, women's ministry director. She will connect you with people. God will use you to impact this entire church. There will be a ripple effect of your presence, of your prayers, of your wisdom that will run across this entire church through families, into, to men in this church, entire households. And then finally, younger women, whether it's single or married, I just want to encourage you to embrace the design, the dignity, and the duty that God has given to you. I want to encourage you to reject the pull and the allure of worldly versions of womanhood that our culture is offering. Instagram is a really bad model for what it means to be a woman. Would you just reject that? I mean, if you're a Christian, it's because you've come to believe that life is found in Christ and Christ alone. And so submit your life to him. Embrace his vision for what it means for you to be a woman. Let's pray together. God, I pray that this vision for womanhood would continue to grow more and more into a reality in this church. God, I pray that you would protect our hearts and our minds from false and flimsy versions of manhood and womanhood that our culture offers. God, would you show us, would you even show us where we maybe need to be corrected or maybe we've gotten a few degrees off course in, what it, in how we live our life as men and as women. And would you correct us this morning? Would we let your word be the gracious, corrective instruction that it is. God, would you make this church a strong and a healthy family of families who are walking in your redeeming grace, who are walking in the design and the dignity and the duty that you've given to us. Would you unleash the gift of seasoned, mature, godly women in this church who are pouring into others for our good and for your glory. I wanna pray now even specifically for those who are struggling whether it be men or women right now who are struggling, whether it be marrieds or singles right now who are struggling, whether it be young or old right now who are struggling, I pray, God, that they would remember your grace and your mercy, that you are a redeemer, that you change and transform us when we come and when we turn to you. I pray for those who are struggling right now, they wouldn't struggle alone. They would turn to you, they would have the courage to bring their weakness to you and to others in this church so that they might be lifted up, strengthened, redeemed. Lord, as we respond to your word, would you move, would you minister to us in this time? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.